Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Pod. Where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connection through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and Daru people, traditional custodians of the land where I am recording today, and pay my respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. I'd also like to acknowledge Manafinawa of Te Awakairangikitai, where I'm recording today. Hi! Hello! Happy Saturday. Happy Saturday to you too. What an exciting week you've had. Yeah, it has been a week. Yeah, do you want to tell us what sparked joy so you can tell us about the milestones? Yeah, so um, what sparked joy for me this week is my son, who is my youngest, turned 10, which now means that I no longer have any little kids at home. Because I always thought of like 10 is really the cutoff and they're a big kid after they're 10. That's double digits. It's sort of like upper primary. Yeah, I had a lot of complicated feelings about it, Hmm. but I think he had a good birthday, so my husband was away, unfortunately, just meeting in Melbourne, so he was in Melbourne, but he FaceTimed in so we could open presents together, and I sent cupcakes to school, and we're doing, like, the big family party, but there were just a few moments about this week which made it really nice. My brother-in-law made a, a bit of an extra effort, and so he and my niece came and, like, hung out with us after school on Thursday, and I don't know, I just spent all morning looking at baby pictures, and it's beautiful and wonderful, and also a little bit bittersweet, because I remember, I remember him being a baby. I remember mm. those moments, like, it was just a minute ago, it really was, and um, yeah, it's very joyful, and of course, the first thing he did this morning when he woke up is go outside, play dog rangers with Bella, which is where they chase each other around, the- I don't understand it, it's his <laughs> game, um, and then he fell off of a bit of wood, and so he now has a massive bruise on his leg, because he, like, scraped his whole leg going down, and it was just like, yep. Yep, this is the perfect kickoff to being 10. (laughs) Yeah, bruises and adventures, right? That's what being a kid is all about. Exactly, and he's so fearless. I love it. Adorable. Yeah, what sparked joy for you this week? Weirdly, just had a really fun week at work. Not because of the work itself, which was boring and terrible, but the chaos factor was high and there was... Mm. Me and two of my colleagues just had a lot of fun, a lot of laughs, a lot of dumb jokes. At one point, my friend Sophie and I and another colleague were doubled up over laughing and another colleague walked past and was like, what is going on? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. If you find out, let us know. We were just, yeah, the vibes were really good. We were just having a really great time, lots of laughs. And like when you're having such a good time with the people around you, it makes the act of going to work feel like less of a chore. Like it feels less horrible that you have to be in this office and you have to do this work and people want things from you and you're getting emails and going to meetings, which all of it is kind of like horrible and this terrible thing that we have to do because capitalism. But when you're actually getting along with people and having a Mm -hmm. bit of a fun time, that makes up for it. So it was just a really nice vibe. Everyone was just in a really good mood in a way. I think a lot of my friends at work have been going through some tough things which I will talk about as well when I get into my story so just having a good week where people seem to come out of that was just really delightful and good to see so yeah that really sparked joy I'm so glad that is the best I've always found work fine like work itself is fine but it really is your coworkers who make or break it for you like I can do Mm. the worst and most horrible jobs but if my coworkers are great then it's like that's fine I love going to work yeah but if you have great work and soul-crushing co-workers then get me out of here yeah totally and I always like having a work bestie I remember when I worked medical receptions when I briefly lived in Perth I had one friend and you know we still talk sometimes now and it's been years but yeah it was really great when she was on at the same time at me as me it really transformed Mm. the work and it made it feel less horrible if I was working a Saturday shift by myself it was so horrible (laughs) but if she was there great time 
I'm glad you had a good week and I'm glad that like the clouds are parting a bit. So this week we're reading chapters 38 through 42 through the theme of heartbreak. Do you have a story for us in the theme of heartbreak? Yeah, so just on that very same refrain, basically I have spoken to you before about how it seems that we're on breakup season. I have about four friends who have broken up with their partners, Mm. some of them Mm -hmm. significant long-term partners. We're talking five to 12 years relationships ending for various reasons and it has been going on since March and it feels like every time I talk to a friend it's just another horrible thing that's happened whether it's a breakup but also more recently health concerns as well like friends who've had terrible news in terms of health or the people they love have had bad health outcomes and so I've just been sitting with a lot of people having a lot of big feelings people that I really care about having to go through a lot And there's different kinds of heartbreak within that, which I think mimics the heartbreak we see in this section as well. Because I think people think of heartbreak as something that happens when a relationship ends, a romantic relationship. You know, it's like you're heartbroken over someone that you were in love with. It's a breakup thing. But heartbreak can be so much more than that. There are so many things that can break your heart, whether it is, you know, losing someone, the grief of that Mm. is heartbreaking, whether it's falling out with a friend can be heartbreaking. Parents yeah. can be heartbroken by their kids routinely doing and behaving in certain ways, you know, that can be heartbreaking. There's just different layers to it. And so many things can break your heart. And I think it's just fundamentally lonely because even if it's a shared experience, even if it's something that let's say you've both lost a parent, you are still going through that alone. Your pain is still your pain. There's no real commonality yeah. other than the fact that you both now have a hole in your heart or multiple of you now have a hole in your heart where this other person used to be. But the way you react to that is still a lonesome thing. And I think even with breakups, like some when I broke up with my ex, one of my friends said, well, you know, at least we know we, we've survived this before. You've been here before, which in my case wasn't true because I'd never been in a long-term relationship. But mm. I thought there was an interesting thing to say because this is an implication that just because you've experienced it before, you know how to handle it. But I think every experience is still different. Like every breakup, every situation, every loss can inflict a different kind of pain and every time it feels horrible. But what I love in this section as well is when Adam talks about humans forgetting we live in this cycle and we forget and i think we have to forget in order to move forward because if you remember how horrible it felt why would you ever love or care about anything ever again because it hurts so much right so we have to forget and it just reminded me heartbreak is a terrible thing and i just wanted to end on this topic that my friend when i went through my breakup got me this book it's called breakup boss by zoe foster blake who is amazing And she partnered with Marie Andrew, who's an illustrator. She used to be big on Instagram, but no longer really does Insta posts, mostly does her own Substack stuff. But there's a lovely bit in here where Mm -hmm. she's illustrated something for a a broken heart diagnosis. And it's like written like a doctor's note. And it says prescription, three meals a day that fill your body with vitamins and your heart with delight. Five fun things on the calendar to anticipate with glee. One to three empathetic listeners. Regular exercise that provides release, not anxiety, a new journal, and avoid all excess alcohol and internet. And I thought that was so lovely because you just have to keep going, right? And it seems like the worst thing in the world, but sometimes all you can do is just like go for a walk, have a good meal, get on Mm -hmm. with things, like have something to look forward to, fill your life with friends who can be there for you, that force you to have some sort of normalcy. And eventually you do get through it, but 
I think all of our heartbreaks leave scars. And in a lot of ways, sometimes you grow from that because you learn new things and you learn new things about yourself, like Adam does in this section. Mm. But it's still horrible in the moment. And I'm not going to gloss over that. I'm not going to be like, oh, well, it, it gets better because it's just a horrible, horrible thing to go through. And there's no way, yeah. there are no platitudes to make that better. Yeah, just look after yourself. I love that. Thank you. And I'm so sorry that so many of your friends are going through it. It does feel like the year for everything going wrong, doesn't it? Like, I mean, we had 2020 and 2021 and 2022 and we were like, we're coming out of it. Things are better. And it has just not proven to be true for a lot of people. It has been rough out there. So I guess for everybody having a rough time, you just got to hang in there, man. Yeah, it is just really rough that it's so like these are people who are really, really close to me and all of them are going through really horrible things for different reasons. And I could rate them being like, which one of these is the worst? Which one should I be giving more of my attention to? But I don't want to do that. I want to be there for all of them. Mm. But it has been incredibly hard on me like I have to be real like I've really struggled with it so yeah yeah because you're an introvert a and b you're trying to do a bunch of other stuff for yourself and that's taking a lot of effort too it's hard for you the last thing I want to do is come like say to someone who's come to me with their issues to be like okay but I have to deal with this this and this from someone else because that is irrelevant like I want to give them space for their pain and their, their heartbreak I don't want it to become a competition about whose heartbreak is worse because like I said for every person you feel your heartbreak is the worst thing in the world in that moment yeah mm. and it is oh yeah well i promise not to go breaking my heart and making you do any of the <laughs> cleanup at least for a couple of months how's that <laughs> i love that thank you do you want to do the chapter summaries for us i would love to so adam is facing his father's hearing alone until Gansey and ronan show up to support him unasked but not unwelcome adam takes blue and noah along to the national park to repair the ley line but he scries a bit too far from himself blue has to injure him to bring him back they fix the line and adam remembers that he saw her mother he meets with persephone but she's not really there she's strayed too far from her body and when they find her at 300 fox way she's dead blue has never really lost someone before and it hurts yeah So this really is the section where everything is just hard for everybody, but it mostly is Adam's and Blue's section Um, because it's it's like a lot of Adam and his relationships with other people. But in the, I think in the story with, with his hearing, you know, like Gansey and Ronan do show up, but it's sort of like outside of Adam experiencing it. He's like observing it. Whereas with Blue, it's like he's right there with her, which is a a bit of a difference. Mm. Um, But I this this whole section is lousy with heartbreak <laughs> it's just it's hard yeah it's hard to read it's just i think interesting like let's just go with the first one the heartbreak of loss right so we mm-hmm. blue has got this heartbreak of her mum being missing being gone yeah. so she yeah, has yeah. that as an undercurrent already humming away and then she loses persephone who has been you know a part of her life but also the heartbreak for Kala in that moment really struck me as well the way she was yeah. just immediately devastated but also for Adam to lose this person who has been a guide for him when he has been so lost and so rudderless and the impact of that trauma, mm. like the quote on that ends the section. So page 330, it says, and there would now forever be two blues, the blue that was before and the blue that was after the one who didn't believe and the one who did. And that really stood out to me because that's how I feel about my own trauma I'm like I always describe it to people as like there used to be a version of Jen who existed before this thing happened and now there's a version of me that exists after and those two things do not coexist they cannot coexist like that former Jen is a different person is a different country a different nation you know yeah it's like how 
sometimes I'm thinking of chemistry for some reason, but sometimes you can put two things together and then you can separate them back out again. But sometimes you put two things together and they form a chemical reaction and they're a whole new thing entirely. Mm. And like sometimes when you have trauma, you can be re-separated out again and make the trauma again a discrete event. But sometimes it actually forms that chemical reaction with you and you are forever changed by it and you are forever a different person. And we see that with Adam as well, right? This trauma of he's this ultimate trauma where his father robbed him of his hearing and Ronan basically rescued him. And this is the trauma that drove us to Mm. this court scene, right? And that is the one that fundamentally changed him as well because he got out. And the whole time he's sitting there being like, I just need to get through this. I don't have to go back. Even if I lose this, I don't have to come back. And he just is kind of like the heartbreak of not having the love or family that you need and deserve because he never expects anyone to come for him. Even when he hears that there are people outside the door, he assumes they're there to like support his father. He never yeah. expects anyone to show up for him. Yeah, yeah. And his mum's not there. His mother doesn't come. That's the thing. That was the first, the first thing I underlined, and I, I just, I feel so angry about that. But I understand it, and I was trying to reach with empathy, and I was trying to be generous. And I think that there is something to be said for people who are in abusive relationships and they have to choose who they're going to protect and sometimes the parents do choose themselves and not their kid because it's easier Mm. but as somebody who lives with the direct result of two parents who both gang up on a kid like in my extended family this is something that just makes me furious because the effects last a lifetime and not having one parent who looks after you is hard, but not having two parents, like having them both decide that you are going to be abused by them both is just the worst possible thing. And there's like, because nobody deserves to be abused. And Adam thinks he, he fundamentally in some way thinks he does mm. because it has happened. Like he's a very logical person. And so he sort of logic, logicked his way to this point where he's like, well, if they abused me, there was a reason for it. Yeah. You know? And that's the real heartbreak of it is that he still notes that his mother doesn't come. Like he, he, he notes that she's not there. And then he says something about, he tries not to care, but he still, he still does. And then he talks about how he's numb. Like he's going through it, this kid. It's just, oh, there's a lot there. I think there's also a little bit of heartbreak, the heartbreak of growing up, like having to deal with these adult things that happen to you when they shouldn't be happening to you yet, right? Like these things. And I think blue with the catcalling is one. Like I remember the first time I was catcalled as a kid Mm. and the way that that shapes your life because now you're no longer, you're no longer a child, right? You don't have that safety anymore. You're suddenly seen as an object and there's heartbreak in that as well. And the way she reacts and then tries to like explain to Adam why she reacted the way she did, which I love because I think that's a real connection between the two of them that they share yeah. because of their Henrietta upbringing, like the Henrietta childhood, but also their poverty, you know? Like, that is the common thing that connects them. Yeah. I also thought that was a really interesting... It, not just the connection, but I also thought it was really lovely that instead of trying to be logical about it and explain to Blue that he knew... was that line that, oh, he's seen guys like this before and he knows that they can't be retrained? He just takes her side. Mm. And says all of the things like, I don't think your mama taught you how to speak to women. And then, and she's not my girlfriend. And then, and by the way, your fuel door's open. Like he just bang, bang, bang. He just gets right in there and he's very mild and unassuming, but he still takes blue side on that. And that's a really interesting evolution for Adam, who normally would be like, 
but I don't understand why it matters. Like, I get that you're upset, and I don't like mm. it when you're upset, but it shouldn't, like, it doesn't really matter. At this point, he's like, no, it actually matters more that Blue is taken, like, somebody has taken Blue's side. Yeah. I love the evolution of Adam in this section, because you can see how far he's come. Like, his connection with Gansey and the way that he now recognizes what Gansey was doing all along. Like, the- Gansey turns up at that courthouse, and you can imagine how our anxious little bean yeah. was rationalizing that in his head being like adam's gonna be furious we're gonna like invade his space and his privacy and whatever and then adam's like oh no and he has that great line where he said you know where is it but for so long he'd wanted gansey to see him as an equal but it was impossible but it was possible that all this time the only person who needed to see that was adam i'm like yes finally we've gotten there (laughs) like finally yeah that literally i wrote about time kid and I have, look, I have a general suspicion of epiphanies because generally an epiphany is like, for any writers out there, you know what I mean. When you're dreaming and you're thinking of your story and you dream a little bit and you're like kind of awake, kind of dreaming and you go, oh, that's what'll solve it. And then you wake up and you write it down or whatever. And then you come back to it when you're fully awake and you're like, well, that was nonsense. That's what <laughs> like 99% of epiphanies are like. You think, oh, this is going to change everything. But actually epiphanies are just ideas you have to go and do the work and so i love that adam's epiphany here that he really wants them there and you know he's sort of saying like okay well why did i even need them to not know they already know this about me why did i keep them pushed away i really could use them here and then they turn up and he's like that line humiliation and joy warred furiously inside adam yes that is it that is it like it is the mortification of being known but also the value of being vulnerable to people who love you and will show up for you anyway. Yeah, and it's not just the one-off because he does it again Mm. when he's in the car with Blue, right? And she gives him the money and he's like, he looks for the wounded pride, but Mm. it's not there, right? And he's like, he's invited them along even though he normally would do this by himself. And good thing he did because if he was there by himself, he'd be dead, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I love that Adam is reaching so much for connection. Um, I actually have a whole thesis about this section about how Persephone is kind of trying to guide Adam to build a tower around his heart. So we already heard Blue say that about, I will build a a tower around my heart. You know, she's talking about investing her love in lots of different parents so that when one goes missing, she won't feel it as much, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's an argument that she had with Aura several, several weeks back. But just the idea that Persephone is sort of encouraging Adam in this. And she even tells him at one point, like, no, you don't have to tell anybody your past. You don't, you don't, you can just, they can get yeah. to know the new Adam. This is bad advice. Yeah, no one needs to know your past unless you let them, right? And th- that's something yeah. that he wants to hear, but it's not good advice. Mm. And then she says to him, you know, we're very similar. We're very isolated creatures. We're very solitary, blah, blah, blah. These are the things, these are Adam's weaknesses that she's encouraging yeah. him. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I see this, I've always thought of Persephone as being sort of like, really part of the three and now i'm wondering is she really part of the three or has she just become a part of them until like i i feel like there's something still not connecting with her like they love her but does she love them as much does she is she as fully involved is she that's that's what adam says right he's beginning to wonder if anyone is a friend to persephone right because adam does have connections he has this bond this unshakable bond with his friends yeah it's interesting it's definitely a an interesting thing to ponder why she would want to do that or is it just her trying to rewrite her own story you know when you've made decisions and you've done things and you think that your decision's the right one you can if you recreate it in someone else that's yeah. reinforcement yeah i think there's a bit of that going on but i also think she wants to connect with him like she wants to have somebody who she's like so that she doesn't feel so alone 
So it's like when you, I don't know, it's the finding the other American in the grocery store. You hear someone with your accent, and you're like, oh, they're from where I'm from, you know? Like you want to talk to them because you hear them and you're like, oh, you're from where I'm from. I think that's what she's doing. She's finding the other person in the grocery store who has the same accent or whatever. She's kind of in this world which is so bound up in connection, but she's not really connected to herself or she doesn't really care about being connected to herself because that's not interesting. She's always been interested in all of the other things. Mm. I don't know. She's like the epitome of the died and came back wrong, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's probably because she's done so much weird stuff. Like, you know, she's done so much scrying, wandering beyond a body, things like that. Like the way yeah. Adam describes it, the way that it's really hard to find yourself back in your body. And then he's like talking about recognizing his formerly chapped hands, by the way. Love that. Love that Adam's yes. little lotion has done the trick there. But, you know, mm. it's this real alienation in a way. I think if Persephone has been doing this for years and years and years and years, of course, you're going to start feeling a bit disconnected. And I think the more magic you see in the world, the more you start engaging with these other forces and things, the harder it is to be yeah. human, right? Like, that's what Adam worries that when she says we're not like other people, he's like, what other humans? Are we not human? You know? Yeah. And he doesn't want that. He has this instinctive, like, but what he wanted to say but couldn't because Persephone wouldn't understand was that he was afraid, not of seeing things like this, but of one day not being able to see everything else, the real, the mundane, the human things. Like, he wants to be in the world. Yeah, and he has that crack at her for being too broad, like being too zoomed, zoomed out. out. Mm. Yeah, which she told us yeah. at the start of the book, right? Yeah, 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 she definitely is aware of that. And I kind of love how she and Gwen Clean are similar in that way and that they see around the edges of things. It's like instead of looking at the figure, they're looking at the outline of the figure. Mm. I don't know. They, it's like they see in negative space. Yeah, interesting. I, yeah, so I feel like Persephone wants to have that connection with Adam because she knows that they're similar in that way. But it's kind of a contrary thing to want a connection with someone who you don't want to, like, you want them to not be connected to other people in that way so that they can be connected to you. Inherently, it feels unhealthy to me. Hmm. It's like trauma bonding or something. Or like Sandra Bullock and Keanu Reeves and Speed. Did I mean, they stay together? <laughs> we'll never know. We often joke about this, some of my friends and I, because we're like, is there another way to make friends? We only ever make friends through trauma bonding. I don't understand how else you connect with people if it's not a shared trauma. <laughs> Confusion. Um, yeah. I think another heartbreak, you know, the classic heartbreak, which is the heartbreak of a relationship ending. It really just mm. stood out to me that Adam one talks about how no one's really touched him in ages and then blue like lays a hand on his shoulder, but also yeah. them not having held hands and how there's that brief hesitation on blue's part, which is like, we haven't held hands since we broke up. Right. Yeah. Mm. But also I love that in like literally the previous section, he and Gansey had just shaken hands and it was like the first time they had shaken hands. Yeah. So like I thought that, yeah, I thought that, but, they were men. Yeah. but, 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 but I think it's different touching yeah. and being touched so he hasn't been touched he touched Gansey like he offered his hand that's different mm. to blue spontaneously reaching out to him yeah yeah yeah. I get you but I love that it's a different thing I remember living alone and I remember how hard that was to just want to be next to someone like I grew up in a big family and we were always in each other's hair and now especially with my kids like they're just always on me or next to me or in the same room as me. Their feet kicking my leg, whatever. I don't know what it's like to be a solitary person in a body. It's just been a long time. So I really feel this. I would also feel very like, oh, a cuddle. I would feel the same as Adam does. I think it's just a casual loss of contact. When you live with family mm -hmm. or other people, there tends to be lots of 
residual contact when you live on your own. I remember when I mm. moved here that first year, I probably didn't touch another person. And then I went to get my hair cut and my hairdresser like brushed my jaw as he was cutting my hair. And it was just this really electric like, thing. Ah, yeah, because yeah. I hadn't been touched for so long and that touch starved thing. But now I'm in a really good place. Like I've got a friend at work. Like sometimes he'll just give me a hug or I'll just hug him for no real reason. It's like great to have people like that where you just be like, I need a hug. Yeah. Yes. The best. Mm. I thought there was heartbreak yeah. and missing out. Like no one misses out on so much because he yeah. is dead and often doesn't have the energy. But also like no one ever listening to him. That is heartbreaking. <laughs> he starts going on about no one ever listens to me. I'm like, I hear you. I hear you, Noah. <laughs> I really love that section because he's really having a big crack about it. Like he's like, and I mean, you could take my advice. But no one ever listens. And it's like, I would actually trust the guy who is literally dead, whose soul is tied to the way- ley lines, who um, <laughs> who has truck with it, like these deities and spiritual events. I think I would trust this guy to say yeah. that evil is real. But I love how they argue with him. Like, <laughs> no, it's not. He's like, I think it is. You guys need to maybe listen to me about it. No um, one ever listens to me. It's just so funny. Mm. But I do love that he turns up and helps. I think that's really... Like, Noah is so good at turning up and helping. Yeah. And also, I was thinking the one benefit about being dead is that you can still hear new music, which I know seems really silly, but, like, I love how much he loves this stupid squash song because it's, like, a connection with Ronan, but also he would never have heard that song because it didn't come out until after he died, but he still gets to enjoy it. Like, that just made mm. me really happy to think about it. I was like, it's a beautiful connection. Aww. That's the only thing that makes me want to be immortal is all the things I can read and watch and listen to. Like, that's all it is. I just have so much to... Yeah. It, so much media to consume, okay? So... Yeah. I just... All the food you could eat, all the places you could go, and all the languages you could learn. Oh, the languages. I'm so bad at learning languages, but if I had infinite time, I'm sure I could get at least a couple. <laughs> Don't you think it's heartbreaking for Cape's water to be cut off from others, other entities? Yeah, I thought this was really interesting that there are more out there and Adam is sort of like realizing that there are more out there and that it's telling him the best it knows how that it wants to connect with these other Cape's waters. There's just something really beautiful about it saying like, I want to connect, let me connect, let me there and it made me think as well because you know he talks about um on page 305 and 306 adam was hyper aware of the massive boulders that jutted out of the trail he was talking about how they felt live like electrified and then on page 306 the big blue stones were tumbled onto one another like a giant's playset and i was thinking of stonehenge which is bluestone and how it's in the middle of not whales but the stones come from whales and it made me think about how there are parts of the Appalachians, which are the same as the mountains in Scotland, because at one point that was one landmass that then split. And how did ley lines live with that? Like if we're going really deep in the text, how did the ley lines in this world live with that? And how did they separate? And what what has magic looked like all this time, I guess? Hmm. It was just a really fun thought exercise to think about, like the geology which i love i do love geology i'm a bit of a I'm a little bit of a rock nerd but yeah mm. time is a material right so like it's just been a cycle the whole time i also just love this little bit of foreshadowing for what we'll see mm. in the dreamer trilogy right because adam's having all these things being like if i wake them up what does that mean for the world what does it mean if all these things are connected what does that say about magic and then i'm like don't yeah. worry don't worry baby ronan's gonna find out don't you worry about that oh yeah 
Thank goodness for Ronan. He's brave enough or foolish enough to just jump in. Mm. Um, I really love... I know I just talked about how much I love that Adam's epiphany is sticking, but I feel like his trust in Gansey and Ronan, like his ability to let them in at that crucial moment, is part of what gives him the courage to ask Blue then to go with him. And then Blue and Noah saving him is what gives him the courage to reach out to Kala and Blue when he's worried about Persephone. Like, all of those things build on each other. All of those connections build up together. And it's good in a way because when that heartbreak happens, when they find Persephone, none of them are alone to find her. Like, she's found Mm. by three people. She's... All of the people have their own grief, yes, but they are connected and supporting each other. And even if you are alone in your grief, having someone else there with you is sometimes... It's just, you just need to be seen. You just need a witness, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I yeah. love that his growth in saying, I'm trusting you guys. And then Blue being able to remember this when she's like, oh no, he's outside of his body. What do I do? I have to set up, I have to throw up my shields. And she's she's like, he trusts me. He trusts me. He, he doesn't trust anybody. He's trusting me. I've got to do this. Like she rallies because she's trying to honor Adam's vulnerability there which I think is really beautiful yeah it is really beautiful and I think you're right like even though we're alone in our grief always alone in that the Mm -hmm. weight of the emotion there's a reason we don't mourn alone there's a reason we do things like wakes the reasons we get together and mourn loss do vigils do marches do all these things because it's easier to share it like yes you feel it on your own but to know that other people are hurting too sometimes is enough it's like the Irish, the Keening women. Mm. How that's a, a thing. I, I wish I could remember more about it, but I just have the image that popped into my head. So and it's I interesting. believe that you, it's something about like, you just keen, you wail, you actually like express your grief publicly, physically, audibly. And it's part of the process of feeling it. And we, we aren't very loud with our grief now. We're not, we're not conditioned to be loud with our heartbreak. It's meant to be private. Well, this is Which also interesting, is... yeah, because the different ways that people grieve and mm. the different ways that heartbreak is expressed across cultures and how in some cultures, you know, you will sit with a body for two weeks before the burial and people will come yeah. and visit and you will do your mourning then and then by the end of the burial, it's like a celebration. Whereas in some yeah. traditions, you the, the burial happens immediately, right? Like, Yeah. Mm. I think the other one is um, Shiva, sit Shiva with people. Yeah in the Jewish tradition, which I don't know very much about. I'm not Jewish, so I can't speak to it. But I've always thought that it's a bit like the Southern, I'm bringing a casserole. Like you you remember Lars and the Real Girl? Mm-hmm. How when, I don't remember her name, the doll, his girlfriend, is sick, everybody brings a casserole and they all sit around and wait for this this girl of, that he has created and fallen in love with to die. And he is in charge of this without really realizing it. Mm. And I just think that there's something to that in a lot of cultures where we just honor and bear witness to the heartbreak, the grief together. And that's what makes it bearable is that we're we're lending each other community and support. There's connection there even in that heartbreak. Yeah. Yeah. Um, props to Ronan for having his tie tied and his shirt <laughs> tucked in. I just like it. There is no bigger sign that he loves you, Adam. Like, just honestly. I love that when he's like, they had run for him. I'm like, of course they did. I love them. I just love them, Your Honor. <laughs> I think Your Honor also loves Gansey, so we're in good yeah, company. I love that. That is just a sign of when your connections come in useful. Like the fact that he knows yep. the judge. It's like, yeah, great. Perfect. We love a bit of, 
We were discussing yeah. at work this week whether this classifies as nepotism when you know someone who gets you a job or something. And I'm like, mm, when is it networking and when is it uh, nepotism? <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, I kind of I take issue with the whole nepo baby thing because, uh, like, if you know anybody, that's how you get jobs. That's how you get into like that's how you get anywhere is you know someone. You don't just appear and start doing things. You have to know somebody. So everybody is a nepo baby, I guess. Because we all live in community, and it's mm. only, I think, considered a Nepo baby if you're, like, really unqualified and you get the job anyway. That's when I think it's Nepo baby. But if you're, like, I don't know, Jamie Lee Curtis, and you're actually an amazing actress, then are you a Nepo baby? Or are you just, like, good on your own merit and willing to work and become better? You know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're a Nepo baby when you're the sure. district manager's son who gets given a job, but you can't, you know, write a coherent sentence and you're a really bad manager and all these things. Then I think you're a Nepo baby. Because you've been promoted yeah. and you've got no right to be there. But if you're actually capable yes. and like skilled enough to do the job, then does it really matter? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Like, the, And this is one of the things I have to... I have a few members of my extended acquaintance who are much more like conservative than me. And so they go, well, if there's a qualified guy, why should a woman get that? And I'm like, because... The qualified guy might be doing well, but he'll be doing well somewhere else. But if a woman who's maybe less qualified but could learn is there, then I think that that's a good thing for her to be able to work. Like, you can't just give it to, like, who looks best on paper. You also have to consider all the other things. But, yeah, sometimes things like affirmative action can eliminate that, like, just instinctive bias, which is, yeah, it's a whole other thing. But it makes me crazy. The whole Nepo baby concept is, like... It's a little bit, it's funny, but it's not, like, I can't take it seriously. Because the whole point of having a community is to be in a community. And so, yeah, yeah, you can use that to your advantage, for sure. Yeah, and that's what Gansey does so well. He's got connections all over the place. Oh my gosh, he's great at building, this is the thing, he is great at building community and fostering connections. He's Mm. just naturally that guy. I love that about him. I wish I could be better at that. I just think people are interesting and I want to know their whole life story. But that kind of works out well for me. Because then I can steal all their experiences and turn them into books. Ha ha. (laughs) did you have anything else because that's all my notes for that oh i think well i mean i think i did i I had a lot in tangential but yeah we've already discussed most of my tangential but i will say the other one i liked was i just love adam's scrying existential breakdown because he's like you know humans are so secular they live the same slow cycles of joy and misery over Mm. and over never learning perhaps if they remembered everything hope would die instead and i'm like yes i think this all the time i think about this all (laughs) the time <laughs> i completely disagree i have a whole takedown for it how funny is that um but yeah i underlined that too did i use i might have chosen that as my in-depth but i have two i chose two for in-depth so if you pick that one i have another one no i, I didn't i didn't pick that one <laughs> um i compared adam to spock when when he stepped up and decided to defend blue because it was more important to exercise empathy for his friends than it was to be right and logical um and I would like to point out that I have been saying this for several books now. On page 301, it was amazing that she and Ronan didn't get along better because they were different brands of the same impossible stuff. Yeah, lol. And then <laughs> Blue flashed him a brilliant look of approval and then she got in the car with a dramatic door slam Ronan would have approved of. See? See? Same person. Just <laughs> like Adam. Adam has a type. Okay? He has a type. It's difficult as the type. <laughs> Absolutely. Um... <laughs> The Knight of Wands, which is the card that he uses to scry, cracks me up because it's the Jake Peralta card. Eyes closed, head first, can't lose. And it's like every time I see that, I laugh because it's like, 
let's go be idiots. That's the vibe of that card, in my opinion. You could, I, you might disagree, but every time I get the Knight of Wands, I think it was the Jake Peralta card. <laughs> <laughs> so that would crack me up. Um, oh, there were two instances of that I would like to mention of Gansey being out of time. So in the courtroom, in the hall stood Richard Campbell Gansey III in his school uniform and overcoat and scarf and gloves, looking like someone from another world. Mm. And then on page 317, when um, Adam is at the the general store with and not with Persephone. Gansey would probably like it, though. It was one of those places where time seemed irrelevant, especially on an evening like this. Dappled light fuzzing through leaves, starlings calling from close-strung telephone wires, old men in trucks driving slowly past, all of it looking like it could have happened 20 years before. Mm, interesting. Yeah, so I love that we keep getting these, like, real notices that, you know... Oh, hello. He has returned. Um, real notices that Gansey is a man out of time in more ways than one. Uh, but yeah, I think that was it for my tangential. Cool. Did you have an in-depth? I sure did. So my in-depth is from the courtroom scene, page 296. So Adam is obviously sitting there thinking about all the various parts of his life that got him here. He is regretting mm. all his life choices, basically. But, you know, he's going through it. And then he says he had been wrong to come here alone. Why did he care if Gansey and Ronan saw this? They already knew. They knew everything about him. What a lie unknowable was. The only person who didn't know Adam was himself. So I think mm. it relates to the theme of heartbreak because there's heartbreak in realizing you were wrong and particularly mm. realizing you were wrong about yourself and like the things that mm -hmm. you want and the things that you expect and you don't really know yourself as much as you thought that you did. There is heartbreak in that realization. It's an uncertainty. It's an unmooring. And there's a loneliness in that. And I think heartbreak is a lonely thing, as I've already discussed. And of course, connection, I think, because it's striving for connection. You're looking for something to tether you to the world. It's because you've become unmoored yeah. through this heartbreak. You need something to tie you down. Yeah. It reminded me, actually, of an episode of Schitt's Creek, which I just recently watched with my housemate. And it's when Alexis has her high school graduation. So she's Aww. graduating and she tells her family not to come and they're all like, yeah, sure, we've got other plans. And then Moira is like, mm, maybe I'll come. And then she doesn't. And then Alexis is like heartbroken by the fact that she isn't coming and she's sitting at this high school graduation by herself. And then Aww. Ted turns up and she feels a bit better and she wants to leave early because she's like, there's nothing for me here. But of course, Moira has turned up with her a cappella singing group to perform a song for Alexis because she recognized Aww. in that moment when Alexis was like, it's fine, it's fine, don't come. I told you not to come. She picked up on the undercurrent that Alexis actually wanted her there. And I spoke to my housemate about it because we were both like, ha, it, us. Because so often in my past, I would have been like, don't come. I don't need you there. You don't need to be there. And then when you are in the moment, you're mm. like, I really want someone else here with me. I wish someone had read and underneath what I was actually saying and actually came along and disregarded what I was saying because I didn't mean it. And I've spoken to you before about how when I had this, like, I was in love with this guy and the, the only thing I wanted was the airport chase scene at the end of the time. Yeah. Like, I wanted that. Yeah. I wanted to be seen past what I was saying and past what I was, like, I guess, embodying to be seen at this core level. And, like, Moira sees that in Alexis and she turns up for her, right? So I think going forward yeah. to Adam, to Alexis, anytime you're doing this where you're like, oh, no, no, it's fine, you don't have to come, ask for what you want. It's okay. More yeah. times than not, people will turn up for you and you are allowed mm -hmm. to want that. It's not a weakness. It's not a failure on your part. Wanting other people to show up for you is one of the best things you can possibly do and your relationships will be stronger because of it and you will be a stronger person for it. So just ask for it. Don't be ashamed. For sure. Yeah. That's a really hard one for me too. I um, I did ask 
my immediate family to come to my citizenship ceremony. I guess I, I asked my in-laws to come, but I had kind of thought like right up to the week of that I wouldn't say anything about it. But then I was like, no, I should invite them. And they all turned up for me and I'm really glad they did. It made me feel really proud to be there with them. Mm. And I'm glad yeah. that I like reached out because they all made it happen. Even around other commitments work. A camping trip was like, you know, put off for a couple of hours. Preparations were put off so that they could turn up for me. It was really beautiful. Yeah, it's lovely when people show up for you. Yeah, but you know, no one can read my mind. I'm no. unknowable. You yeah. have to ask. You have to be honest as well. Like be like, do I, yeah. Act, yeah, you know, what do I actually want? Am I just lying to myself? Which nine times out of ten, if you are me, is you are lying to yourself. But yeah. <laughs> Sometimes when my daughter is upset and she like runs out of the room yelling about something because you know she's got all these feelings i'll say do you want me to follow you or give you a minute and she'll say follow me or give me a minute you know like i give her the option to communicate about it because like i know when i was that age i wanted to be chased and to be told oh, that yeah i was still loved and yeah and like sometimes i do need a minute to just be like ah, i don't like being yelled at by a child but you know like i can usually figure it out and get there yeah, it's good to let people know that they can ask for what they need. Mm. And sometimes you can offer what they might need. Yeah. Goes two ways. Absolutely. What was your yeah. in-depth marginalia? Um, so I picked the bit where Adam has sort of gone a bit far in his first scry with Blue and Noah, and he's sort of taking the perspective of Cabeswater. And on page 309, maybe it was the good, maybe it was good that the world forgot every lesson, every good and bad memory, every triumph and failure, all of it dying with each generation. Perhaps this cultural amnesia spared them all. Perhaps if they remembered everything, hope would die instead. So the context is he's lost in the sauce, so to speak, and he's beginning to lose touch with his body, which is not so great, and he's reflecting as Cabeswater on the nature of humanity and its forgetfulness. Um, so the idea here is that heartbreak is part of the cycle but we forget it and because humanity has a lack of connection to its own history we're able to keep like we don't retain those lessons so we keep forging on because if we had this knowledge of suffering we might lose hope um i take issue with this i firmly disagree with this because um it's nonsense there are lots of things that i do knowing that there will be suffering, but I do them anyway. Like for one, going for runs, that is always annoying and I always hate it. And then when I'm done, I'm like, I'm so glad I did that. So just in my tiny life, I think it's nonsense. But also I want to talk about, I want to talk about Arrival, the movie Arrival, mm -hmm. that really actually approaches this entire concept. And without spoiling anything too much, I will say that a character ends up choosing a heartbreaking, but very full life filled with both love and sorrow in the full knowledge of their future. That sorrow could have been entirely circumvented, but they chose it anyway. And I think I would do the same. The second thing I want to draw attention to in sort of response to this is I think that humans actually do keep those cultural connections. I don't think we forget quite as well as the the forest here would have us believe. So I'm like I'm fortunate enough that I live in a country with the oldest continuous culture in the world and songlines are like exactly that, like a way to keep that cultural connection and that cultural memory alive. So I guess I'm just kind of in a place where I think actually humans remember a lot and we still choose to hope and that to me it like takes all of that heartbreak and we make meaning out of it. So there's more of a connection there. So I think going forward, I just want to remember, like, do not build a tower for your heart. Choose hope. Hope is a thing with feathers. It perches on the soul. Emily Dickinson was right. It is there. We should always reach for it. And also, for heaven's sake, write everything down. Future historians will thank you. If you can't remember because of the cultural context around you, leave a written record, man. We love to see it. Hmm. Fascinates me how we read that completely differently. 
like completely yeah. <laughs> differently. One, I don't think it's him as Capes Water. I don't think he's in Capes Water at all. I don't think really? that's what that is. Two, I don't think it's a macro level interpretation the way that you've mm. gone, like where it's a cultural thing. That's not what I think he's saying. I think the way I read it is like, for us as individuals, to, in order to cope and exist and to keep going, to keep being alive, we have to forget the horrible things that happened to us. We have to forget the trauma. The same with childbirth. The way that parents, mothers, forget the horribleness of childbirth in order to have more children, that's a forgetfulness. The way <laughs> as we as a society have forgotten what life pre-COVID was like. We talk about going back to normal. We don't remember what that was. Yeah. We don't remember life pre-9-11. We've just made a new normal out of it. We just do these things. That's the kind yeah. of forgetting that I think about. So it's just interesting yeah. how we can read the same section very differently. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny. Everyone says that about childbirth, but I remember both of my births and they were both difficult and mercifully with it under 12 hours each, but still horrible. And the first one was bad, but I did it again. The second one, I thought if I do this the third time, it'll probably kill me because I had a really bad hemorrhage, but I remember it. I can still remember it. I can still tell you what a labor pain felt like and where it was in my body. It has not left me, mm. but I guess the kids were worth it. <laughs> I just don't <laughs> like, think that's no like, I don't think that's usual. I think most people really. Yeah, no, none of my parent friends other than you have that experience. Oh, I guess because I wrote it all down, you know? Yeah, so well, maybe that helped. You but... have a different, you've got a creative writerly approach to things like you want to remember. Whereas I think mm. a lot of people yeah. don't. They don't want to remember. And if you choose not to remember, you won't. Which comes back to your point, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there is a little bit of cultural amnesia. I mean, I do try and focus on the positive. That is something I am very much guilty of doing and sometimes to the detriment of like hearing the people in my life who need to tell me things that are hard for them I'm like but this other positive thing could come of it and they're like okay I'm just whinging let me whinge you know <laughs> so I'm guilty of becoming a bit of a Pollyanna sometimes but yeah I, I completely was like oh this is just caves water being like silly humans so small never learning that was how mm. I read it yeah interesting but I think that the earth would take that position because the earth is so eternal, right? I mean, when often when I talk about climate change, I'm like, the planet will be fine. It's humans that are going to suffer. Hmm. Like, I don't care about climate change for planet earth. I care about climate change because I am a human and I live here with other humans that I also love. And we've got to live here. Yeah. The planet will keep going. It's us that I worry about. We're going to live in a hellscape of bushfires and floods at all times. Yay. That reminds <laughs> me, I've got to buy a rainwater tank. Yeah, write it down. I can still flush my toilets when the apocalypse <laughs> happens. <laughs> Did you have a character you wanted to spotlight? Yeah, I think it's pretty obvious, but I really want to spotlight Adam. Um, I joke that I am Adam and Adam is me, but especially when he's working really hard on not dwelling in the hard stuff and reaching out for people and letting people in and asking them to trust him. That is... That is me. I present myself as this really warm and friendly and vulnerable person, but like I super do not let a lot of people in. So mm. Adam gets all the love for like actually opening that heart up a little bit. He just crowbarred a little bit of space so that other people could reach their fingertips in. And I, <laughs> I love him for that. It's been mm. a hard couple of days for him. How about you? Who would you like to spotlight? I'm also spotlighting Adam, I think. Yeah. Yeah, making, just thinking that no one's ever going to turn up for you, just having that expectation. One, because mm. you tell yourself that you're an unknowable, but that isn't a, it's a protective mechanism because you expect no one to be there for you. So it's easier to say that I'm lonesome yeah. out of my own free will than actually no one else yeah. wants to be around me. So for him 
to challenge that and to be open to like learning these new things about himself, which is really challenging. Just think, you know, like you say, it's been a hard couple of days for him and he deserves some love. Aww. Um. Okay, well, did you have any homework for our listeners? Because I do not have any homework. Oh, you do. That excellent book you recommended, right? Oh, yeah. Breakup Boss. That looks like an excellent book. And I will recommend it to people who are breaking up with other people. Yeah, it just gives lots of little advice and cute little drawings in it and stuff and things like, don't do this. And instead of texting your ex, write the message here and like, this is what you should do if this thing has happened. It's just like the tone of it can be a bit like Instagram influencery, but it's lovely. And I love Zoe, yeah. you know, and yeah, she's good value. Cute. Um, my homework is there's another installment of the Yumi Steins and Dr. Melissa Kang book. Mm. It's called Welcome to Sex, and I have a preteen, so I'm going to read this and then give it to her. We already have Welcome to Your Period, Welcome to Boobs, and Welcome to Consent, and I think those are all fantastic books. So if you have anybody who is in your life who is figuring out bodies, maybe AFAB, maybe just kind of dealing with growing up and having questions about stuff, and you feel like being a benevolent auntie or uncle, these books are so good. They're so informative, and I really love them. And also, they're cute, and they have cute drawings. Yeah. They have little illustrations. And they're just, like, wholesome and also, like, inclusive, I would say, also. Like, they're really inclusive. So there's not exclusionary language in them, which is great. So highly recommend Yumi Stein's Dr. Melissa Kang, the Welcome To series. Great. Okay. On that note, next week we'll be reading chapters 43 to 47 through the theme of change, which will be a lot. It will be a lot. Oh, we're getting down to the pointy end of the text. We sure are. <gasps> oh my goodness. I'm looking forward to it though. Jen, thank you so much for recording today and thank podcasting you. with me. This is so much fun and I'm so glad we get to do it. It's always a delight. Always a highlight. And yeah, I'm looking forward to next week. Oh, it's going to be great. And or scary. We'll see it when we get there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. See you then. See you then. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us today. Marginali Pod is written, edited, and produced by us, Gen D and Gen V. We'd love to hear from you. Send an email to hello at marginaliapod.com, check out our Instagram, or maybe dash up a quick review. You can also subscribe so you never miss an episode. Our music is by Scott Buckley, and the logo artwork is by Laura Cato. You can find detailed show notes for each episode and much more at our website www.marginaliapod.com. Special thanks to all the people in our various communities whose love and care sustains us. Without your support, we would be very sad little critters. We appreciate you. And to you, our wonderful listeners, thanks again for being here. We love spending this time with you. 